Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons in entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers. And I'm Sam McRoberts. And today we're going to talk about 10 ways you can actually increase your luck. Sweet. I want to be more lucky. I mean, don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> Get lucky. So what what is luck? Like, do you have a definition that you prefer to use or... Well, <laughs> I would probably just Google it. <laughs> but okay. um, when I think about it, I think about it as... Um, you know, if I'm going to try something, are my odds of success better or worse than somebody else trying the exact same thing, you know, cutting out for cutting out skill or ability or things like that, like all else equal. What are my odds of success? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, like, you know, the, the dictionary definition, right? Noun success or failure apparently brought up by chance, uh, rather than one's own actions. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's pretty close. Like I would essentially say luck, luck is when something positive happens that you don't feel like had anything to do with your, your choices. Like you didn't, you know, it just, it happened. Something, something lucky happened to you or for you. And it wasn't nothing to do with you. Pure blind luck. But I don't, I don't actually agree with that concept. While I do think there's absolutely an element of randomness and, you know, like if we are in some sort of a simulation, maybe there's an element of non-randomness, but there also seems to be a great deal you can do to stack the deck in your favor, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder if luck by definition is something that is not controllable through one's own actions, then how can you take actions to modify your luck? Yeah, this is this is one of those those things. Like the English language has a lot of limitations in that we often bundle definitions together under a single word when lots of words would maybe be better. I feel like the Japanese and maybe the Germans are better at this at having lots of words that mean like you know a, a, a unique word for each close variant. So maybe there's maybe there's words in German or Japanese as you and Brit are. are learning learning both of those. Let me know I, I if know you figure it out. Isn't it like Norwegian or something? Don't they have like 30 different words? Oh no, it's Eskimo for snow. 30 different words for snow, <laughs> depending on the type. Yeah. I don't know that's if that's true, do. but it, it sounds pretty funny. Yeah. I, so, I, I could, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. It's just sort of anecdotal. I heard that. <laughs> so I, so I saw a tweet in the last, I want to say the last week or so from a guy on Twitter named Shane Parrish and he runs Farnham street which is a really, really brilliant blog that deals with psychology, philosophy. And they're especially known for research into like mental models and critical thinking and how the human brain works. And he listed out what he considers the five different types of luck. And the first in the list is blind luck, which is what most people think of when they say luck. But then he had four more. Action, preparation, persistence and reputation right and those are the things that perhaps you can do or take take control of to contribute to what other people would just call luck so without further ado let's dive into what we think you can do to actually functionally increase your luck in some fashion greater odds of success in some direction here we go tell me how to get lucky sam okay take risks take shots, right? We were talking about this in the podcast we recorded yesterday, 
which is you know the Gretzky quote of you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You need to take shots. The more times you're up to bat, the more likely you are to have a home run. And if you're not taking any any shots, if you're not up to bat, how are you ever going to have luck? You have to put yourself out there and take action. What's the saying? Fortune favors the bold. So when facing a risky decision, our minds tend to imagine the worst case scenario, and that can kind of freeze you up and keep you focused more on the intellectual instead of the action. But in a lot of cases, if you want to succeed, you're going to have to push through your fears. The end results are rarely your worst case scenario. This is actually one of the my favorite takeaways from Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, was the idea of fear setting. In our minds, we may think of the worst case scenario as being a 10, cataclysmic world ending. But in reality, when you really look at it carefully and outline the actual negatives, maybe it's really only a two or a three. But maybe the upside at first glance is like, ah, you know, it'd be nice. But really, when you examine it, it would actually be an a seven or an eight or a nine out of 10, right? The huge, huge upside for you and relatively low risk. And we talked about this previously as well, the asymmetric risk reward scenarios. And if you are ever in a scenario where when carefully analyzed shows a high potential for reward and a relatively low potential for risk, you should be taking those risks if you can afford to do so. Yeah, completely agreed. So number two would be to simply understand the odds when you're faced with a decision. So if you don't know what your chances of success are, then you might consider yourself to be unlucky if you fail when you try that thing. On the other hand, if you know going into something that your chances of failure were 80% and then you do fail, then you won't feel as unlucky because you'll sort of have expected that, right? You know, you you expected that failure. So it wasn't, it wasn't like this was some unexpected event. Additionally, if you understand that the odds of failure are 80%, you might be less likely to make that decision and then go on to fail in the first place. On the, I'd say on the flip side, though, a lot of high performers are in the don't tell me the odds camp. They don't care. They don't care if the odds of success are low and they don't want to be aware of it. They just want to blindly swing for the fences. So I'm thinking about that because what, what if the odds are commonly at 80% failure and they swing? And I guess this goes back to number one. You know, you have to, you have to take risks in order to, if you want the big win, you have to take the big risk and like and they I'm say, fortune favors the bold. Yeah. Like you, you need, you need data in order to do an accurate risk assessment, but you need to try and find good data, good data, not bullshit data and not allow that data to swell in your brain and scare you away. I think that the spirit of number two, when I say understand the odds is really to understand your decision and understand what could contribute to success or failure because knowing that information will help steer you to the path of success. Agreed. That brings us to number three, which is always have a plan B. So this is part of the asymmetric risk reward thing, right? You know what the rewards are, you know what the risks are. You should always have a plan or plans to mitigate the risks as much as possible. And you can do that. You can hedge your bets in a lot of ways. So one of the simplest ways that I see this is a lot of people will start a side hustle. 
they'll stay at the relative stability of a full-time job and they'll begin building their their escape hatch on the side in their free time. So I think that's a really smart way to go about setting up an asymmetric risk reward scenario. Like you have a plan B. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this company work if I can. And if it doesn't, at least I'm safe. However, the caveat to this is there are times when the only way you're really gonna knock it out of the park is if you cut your main shoot and leave yourself with with no out. Like you can't have a backup plan in some cases if you're going to make it work because what you're doing is so audacious. So this is where your risk assessment comes in. I mean, I don't think you should be risking your your life or your solvency or the safety of anybody, but I think if you have an extremely high chance of reward and you've done what you can to mitigate risk, I think sometimes it's just the right choice to dive in head first and consequences be damned. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you can't think that way. You just have to go for it. Yeah. It often does come back to to number one, right? You have to be willing to take take risks if you want to experience those successes. Yeah, but you hear people say things like, oh man, this guy always seems to land on his feet. How lucky. And and I think that's where the backup plan comes in. The people who always seem to land on their feet are probably they're probably planning. They have option B, option C, option D. And so they're never left flat-footed. They they have somewhere to go or something to do because they thought it through in advance. That's just it. Yeah. I mean, disaster, misfortune, you know, it strikes us all. And statistically, it strikes us all at the same rate. The difference is those who were prepared for it and pivoted out of it quickly and swiftly, you know, yes. versus the ones who did not. And so that's, I think that's really what it means to have a plan B. So number four is to build your network. And the thing is that people who experience success or fortune, which is everybody does from time to time, they'll often share it with their network, people who who are close to them. And so what that means is that even if you're not experiencing, you know, even if you're on a dry run of good luck or, you know, your, your luck has run out for a while, if somebody around you is having better luck, then that can actually become your own because they might be more willing to share it with with you. I'm not, and I'm not. I'm not talking about money necessarily. You know, I'm talking about, gosh, you know, an opportunity, or maybe somebody in your in your network is connected to somebody who could who could benefit you, who could get you that job interview that you're looking for, um, or who could connect you to that vendor that you that you've been trying to reach out to. Really, go ahead. I fully believe. I fully believe this. Your your network. What's the saying? Your network is your net worth. And your your connections are hugely impactful. Like a, a very large percentage of all job opportunities are never posted up. They just pass through networks. Do you know somebody who'd be a good fit for this? Yes. Okay, great. Hired. And you know, certain opportunities are only shared inside of networks. Yeah, and that can make you seem really lucky. Yes. Outside looking in, it seems lucky. So number five, speaking of opportunities, be open to new opportunities. This goes back to times at bat. You have to have an open growth mindset. You have to be looking for opportunities. You have to have your eyes wide open for ways in which you can seize your success. I think this may actually be one of the biggest factors in what appears to be luck is just people who are constantly looking and who jump at opportunities when they see them instead of hesitating or passing. Hey, yeah, this doesn't seem like it's right. Or I don't know, man, there seems like a lot of risk. I don't know if I want to do it. Like the people who are timid and hesitant are much less likely to be lucky because they're much less likely to be watching for opportunities they can jump on. They're, they're looking at things through a very different lens. Yeah, I, I think 
I think it's really important. Have you seen the movie? Yes, man. I don't think I have. It doesn't sound familiar, but maybe Okay, it's, it's Jim Carrey, uh, as I recall. And he, the movie is about, he is, you know, a normal guy stuck in a normal job and he goes about his daily routine. You know, it's almost in a groundhog day scenario and he's just sort of bored with life. And I forget who or how, but somehow he, someone convinces him to just say yes to every new opportunity that, that comes his way. And, uh, he, he starts doing so and he starts finding himself on just crazy wild adventures that he never would have imagined. <laughs> and his life becomes so much more amazing and fun and awesome. And he starts having the time of his life, uh, and just starts living what many would consider to be a, a, a lucky life <laughs> because, That's funny. because he just says yes to everything. And no matter how ridiculous he just says, yes, it's a fun movie. Definitely check it out. It kind of goes along with this, with this point. I- I agree. And I actually think from, if you're starting from a relatively low level, that's probably very good advice. When you, when you don't have a glut of opportunities, jumping at more opportunities is smart. But as you rise up, like when you reach a a pretty high tier in terms of performance, wealth, connections, it becomes the opposite. Your time becomes the commodity to protect and you have to say no to a lot more opportunities. It's true. Learning how to say no and learning when to say no and getting comfortable with saying no is actually a, a really big, I, I don't know if I would call it a skill, but yeah, I think it is. You think it's a skill? I was trying to think of a better think, word for it. I do actually, because I think it's difficult. You know, it's difficult for a lot of people to say no. They don't want to offend. They don't want to start conflict. They don't want to FOMO, you know, they don't want to miss out. And so I think learning, learning, hmm, knowing yourself and your situation and your goals well enough that you can clearly and quickly say no when something's not a fit. I do think it's a a skill. Well, I agree. It's super important. Something that's hard for, it was hard for me to, to learn. But with that said, I also said yes to many, many, many opportunities when I was starting out and it got me my foot in the door in a lot of places and it helped me build my network, which, you know, all of it went toward contributing to increasing my luck. So number six would be to be optimistic. The more optimistic you are, the luckier you're going to feel. And feeling luckier is just as good as actually being luckier, which we'll we'll get to a little little later about how that works from a psychological perspective. But essentially, when you're optimistic, all of your successes that you have will actually seem even more, they'll seem even better. So your, your luck will seem better than it actually is. And whenever you fail at something, if you're optimistic, what you'll actually be able to do is sort of turn that failure into a positive by seeing the bright side of failure, right? There's always a silver lining. And so when you do have instances of bad luck, that optimism will enable you to sort of turn that bad luck into good luck, at least in your mind. And that's what really matters. So I, I, I agree yeah, with yeah, this for sure. Like I think framing you know, framing is huge. Oh, you, yeah. The, it goes back the to the cognitive are- biases episode we talked about, you know, framing. Yeah, like the lens that you view the world through distorts or enhances. And if you look through a constant lens of fear and negativity, it's going to warp and distort everything around you and drag you down. But if you look through a lens of hopefulness and positivity, it's going to completely change every aspect of your life, not just your mental health, but your your opportunities and I think your luck. And I think this is actually one of the worst things going on in the world right now is what we see with mainstream media and the focus on negativity. That's forcing so many people, often without any, without realizing it's happening, 
to start viewing the whole world and everything around them through a negative lens. And it makes them pessimistic and negative and depressed. And it's just, it's fucking up our civilization, man. Well, that's, we talked about this on our episode about happiness and how, how news is geared to drive fear because fear and negativity drives clicks. But that's reducing all of our happiness. And that's why I love what John Krasinski did. Now, going back to our very first episode where we talked about how John Krasinski started Some Good News, the YouTube channel, which now has, God, each each video he puts out has gets millions and millions of views. And I think it's brilliant. I swear, I just, I just saw something about him in the news. I can't, I can't remember what. Oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything, but I'll have to look at that. But I, I, I've subscribed to his YouTube channel ever since that episode. And uh, gosh, Oh, he sold it. Oh, fuck. He sold it. He sold some good news to CBS. Oh, well, I hope that's a, uh, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. That he, feel, that, is, is he uh, still going to host it? I don't know. I don't know the details. I knew I saw something in the news about it. Hopefully, hopefully he still hosts it. But, you know, now he's lost creative control and positivity doesn't get as many views as negativity. So, well, okay. Here's the, here's the bright side <laughs> of that. <laughs> Now CBS has a good news channel so that it can start pumping out some good stuff because, you know, rather than all the negativity and maybe just maybe the mainstream media will start to see that people actually like and want and will click on and will watch and view positive news and not I, negative I hope, news. I hope that's the case, but one of my I'm favorite websites, see the bright side. <laughs> one of my favorite websites was futurism.com. And for the longest time, and they built, you know, many tens of millions of visitors each month sharing just news on future tech, cool stuff that was happening in research and science and various aspects of technology and genetics. And I've been watching over the last, I'd say the last year, they, they were purchased by another company and they've just gone downhill. They've turned into a BuzzFeed. It's all coronavirus coverage all the time, clickbaity headlines, and it just depresses the shit out of me to see that happen. I know, I know, we're going down a rabbit hole. But yeah. Yes. Be optimistic. Be optimistic, and avoid all the stuff that's that's negative. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Do your best. So number seven, trust your gut. I've thought about this a lot, and this is something that we don't we don't fully understand. We don't understand why exactly it is we're able to do some of the seemingly mystical calculations that we do. But for whatever reason, and for a variety of reasons, I imagine our gut instinct is very often right. Not always, but sometimes. And I think in part, at least, it's that our brain does a lot of processing that never makes it to the level of conscious awareness. And so we may have crunched numbers we just we don't realize we crunched to come to a decision that we hadn't consciously thought about. And so we make a call. And it's not that it's a call without any thought or processing. It just it just didn't hit the conscious level. But here's an interesting data point. So according to a study of a thousand people by Dr. Richard Wiseman, he's a professor of psychology at the University of Hertfordshire and the best-selling author of a bunch of books and a YouTube channel with over 2 million subscribers. In his book, The Luck Factor, he said, lucky people make successful decisions by using their intuition and gut feelings. Almost 90% of lucky people said that they trusted their intuition when it came to personal relationships and almost 80% said it played a vital role in their career choices. I buy this. I, I do. Yeah, me too. I do think that it boils mostly down to most people are not terribly self-aware and there's processing that's being done below the level of consciousness. And if they've learned to trust that processing, yeah, it's it's right much more often than not. And while I think it can occasionally steer you wrong, I, I do think if you've honed that 
and and trust it. It's going to work in your favor. I agree. I, I I do agree with what you said about how there's there's probably some level of background processing that's going on that is subconscious and is helping us to calculate what the best decision is. And that's I think that is sometimes what you feel as your gut. Yeah, it so, makes me it makes me think of Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink and how, you know, so much is being done processing wise. And for us, it translates to what seems like an instantaneous action. So like in sports, right, there are tons and tons of discrete movements necessary to swing a bat, adjust to hit the ball, hit it in exactly the right way, moving your hips, your shoulders, like there's all this stuff and it gets solidified into this one fluid movement. And all of that processing has been done in the background. You're not consciously aware of each step in the process. It turns into one little, one little snip. And just like an, a, a little experience of my own. I remember one time I was, let's say I was 18 or 19. I had a, a Firebird, a Pontiac Firebird. And I love to just launch every time a, you know I was at a stoplight. If I was at the front of the row and the light turned green, bam, just hit my gas, peel out, zoom off so much fun. <laughs> but this one time I was at a light and it turns green and I go to slam my foot down on the gas and I hesitated. No reason, no thought, just hesitated. And like a fraction of a second later, a van comes barreling across the intersection running the red light. I was like, shit. And at the time I was like, wow, that's like some crazy mystical stuff. Why didn't I go? And then, you know, I read Blink and I think about it. And it's like, oh, like my peripheral vision caught the van. It never, there was no time for it to make it to conscious awareness. My subconscious just took control and made sure that I didn't hit the damn gas. I wouldn't be fucking dead. But that's a, a, an interesting scenario of like, I didn't even have time to trust my gut, but my, my subconscious processing was taking care of things for me. So side note, you were one of those at the stoplight mm-hmm. next to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dude, I, I loved it, man. I'd drift around corners. I'd zoom off. Yeah. I was how, how old kid. were you? I got it when I turned 18. <laughs> what color was the car? Try it was actually white. It was actually white. And the, you know, like luckily we just, we found one that was white, but I uh-huh. knew full well with a dad in law enforcement that having something that was like red or blue or yellow, you know, primary colors are going to get you pulled over. Doing yeah. I've read stuff. That, that red cars get pulled over more often uh, yep. than as a matter of fact, I think that white cars get pulled over the least amount of the time. Isn't that right? I think it's, I think it's black, white and gray. But yeah, it's the the random colors that fade into the background that are less likely to draw attention. So I never I never got pulled over for doing that. Never got in wow. trouble for speeding. I, in fact, the only tickets I ever got were for not being buckled. <laughs> all right, con- confession time. I, I I have been pulled over for peeling out uh, after at a stop sign, but it was like one a.m. I was literally one block away from home, so I had almost made it home from wherever I was. Hadn't been drinking or anything like that. Uh, you know, it was just. I was totally sober. I was just, I don't know where I was, but I was at some event and just at a stop sign. I totally, you know, just, I had a, a 2000 Mustang, a manual transmission. So I just rammed that sucker into first gear and nice, you know, burned out through the stop sign. I was only a block away. Like I said, from my house, I was like, I'm just going to tear it up and get home just being stupid. And there was a cop that was on the corner hidden and hidden in a, in a dark spot where there was no light. And so fucker pulls me over (laughs) right outside my driveway. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is so, I am so stupid. You know, I know we're we're going down a rabbit hole, but one more, just because this is, this is, this is amusing me. Me and one of my friends, (laughs) me and one of my friends decided to do a little drag race from a stoplight one time. My friend was 
this big red lifted pickup truck running like nitrous in a supercharger. It, I mean, it was fast. Like this truck was insanely fast, but we were like, all right, let's do it. And so we hit the gas when the light turns green and we take off. And then behind us, we hear sirens. So he gets pulled over. The cop goes, I slow down and, you know, go pace it with traffic. The cop just bypasses me and goes for him. Big red truck pulls him over. So I pull up behind the cop car and just wait. And, you know, he deals with my friend and he comes back. He's like, why are you stopped? He's like, oh, that's my buddy. I'm just waiting. We're headed over to my house. He's like, well, let me see your license and registration. Turned out my license was expired. (laughs) So I got, I got in trouble for that, but like, he didn't, he didn't even notice that I was right next to my friend peeling out and racing him. Like it didn't even, he didn't even see it. All he saw was the big red truck. Wow. (laughs) So, well, Fun stories from our youth. There, there we go. <laughs> we did, <laughs> a little we off topic. Maybe, maybe you got lucky in that scenario. Then, see, luck. Ah. luck. See, planned ahead. Planned ahead you, with you the white car. You may have gotten in trouble, but you could have gotten in a lot worse trouble. That's how you turn bad luck into good luck. You see the bright side. There you go. Okay. So we we tied it back in. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. So number eight would be to exercise daily, and you're probably like. Uh, exercise is a health tip. How is this a luck tip? Well, here's the thing. Regular exercise, yeah, it does improve your health and it can reduce your risk for many diseases, especially later in life and complications that may arise that often are deemed unlucky. So, you know, prevention of unluckiness can be a form of increasing your luck. If you think of it that way, it can help. It can also help you stay more focused and energetic throughout the day, which will actually improve your performance. Right. And if you're performing at a higher level, you're more likely to experience more successes and less failure, thus increasing your luck. And additionally, when you exercise regularly, you have less stress, uh, as is proven in many studies, and less stress results in, uh, again, improved performance. So this is really all about maximizing your performance. And exercise is a great way to do it. But there's a lot of other ways to, to maximize your performance, such as you know staying hydrated, eating healthy, and and so on. Sam, we actually have a whole episode on on ways to improve your productivity. So go give that a listen if you haven't. Number nine is being selfless. So giving to others without expecting something in return. And you'll feel lucky when they're there to help you when you need something. I, I think definitely this is another one. I think reciprocity comes into play here a lot. Like you do something and that's going to open up opportunities from the people you did something for because of that need to balance the reciprocity scales. Yeah, that's, that's karma, probably, right? Yeah. And and I mean the idea karma's man, karma's fascinating. We should do an entire episode on something something along those lines. Esoteric things with principles rooted in science and psychology. I think karma is essentially a a mental state thing. Right? If you are a negative person and you do negative things to others, you are, of course, going to attract negative shit to you because of who you are and what you do. And if you're a positive person and you do kind things for other people, you're much more likely to have positive things come back to you. So I, I think there's some very direct psychological balancing going on with karma. I don't don't think you're going to turn into a butterfly in your next life and have to pay for your <laughs> your crimes. But yes, being being a positive, kind, generous person, somebody who's helpful and and tries to give, you know, a net positive person, of course, you're going to bring those type of people to you and open up all kinds of opportunities for you. So I, I absolutely think that selflessness to some degree, or at least kindness and generosity will open up a lot of opportunities that outside looking in might look like luck. 
Yep. Totally agreed. Be a nice person, do nice things and nice things will happen to you. So number 10, this is the, this is our final tip on how to be, how to increase your luck would be to go ahead and hold on to that lucky rabbit's foot. And you're <laughs> like, what? You guys are superstitious. We didn't think you were superstitious. Well, here's the thing, Sam, I can speak for myself and I think I know you well enough to say, I don't think you're superstitious, right? I don't consider myself superstitious. I am, I'm open-minded, but mm-hmm. I'm also like a data hound. I, I want to see data before I state something as fact. And even then I, I'll never go so far as to say this is fact. I'll say this is very highly probable. Yeah. We're in the same exact boat. Exactly. Exactly the way I am. So here's the thing though. Research has actually shown that items that people consider lucky, you know, let's say your lucky rabbit's foot, which is sort of the cliche here. Research has shown that they can actually boost your performance because they decrease anxiety and boost confidence. So Interesting. yeah, you see this with, you know, if you just go to Google and type in like athletes, pregame rituals or routines, you'll see, I've, I've read articles about this, but some, some athletes have just these funny routines like, you know, on Thursdays, they'll only wear a certain color of sock or just stupid random shit, but they swear that it makes them perform better or that their team will do better. And the funny thing is that science actually shows that when you believe that it actually does increase your performance because you believe it. And I wonder sure. if this relates to the uh, placebo effect. I, I, That's I have exactly to imagine what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah this, I, th- I think it's a combination of a few things. I think it's the framing you're, you're framing things in a particular light, which changes your attitude and approach. I think it's partially placebo effect. You are, you know, you're setting up a scenario where your belief can affect outcomes. And I, I think to, to at least some degree, it's also a form of priming. You're, you're using essentially a totem to set up a mental sequence and you are, you're prepping your, your body for something. It's the same concept as like, chewing a specific flavor of gum every time you study a specific subject and then chewing that gum when you go to take a test on that subject, you will increase your recall of that material because you're integrating an additional sensory node into your your learning process. I think it's the same sort of thing. By having that totem, you're activating a mental sequence that puts you in a specific frame of mind and affects your actions and therefore outcomes. I like it. I, I agree. So going along with this, this is interesting too. When, when you say sort of offhand to somebody, wish me luck, we've all done that, right? And other people have said, good luck. Well, science has actually shown that that does in fact increase your luck. That's and it's, not, it's not magic. It's the same thing. It's, it's probably yeah. placebo effect. But if you believe that you will do better because somebody wished you that, it's the same effect as having the rabbit's foot. So here's an interesting study that I found um, that this... This really interested me. Um, there was an experiment with a dexterity task uh, that normally took more than five minutes. And what they found was that it could be accomplished in just over three minutes on average if participants were wished good luck before they started it. So this is research that was done by uh, Lizanne Damisch of the University of Cologne in Germany. So before trying to roll 36 little balls into little holes in a transparent plastic cube, the, the participants were told by a researcher, I pressed the thumbs for you, which is the German equivalent of my fingers are crossed for you in English. And Interesting. Yes. And they and and what that's what they found that the the amount of time it took to do it was actually vastly reduced when they were wished good luck. Fascinating. You know, 
I, I think all of that comes together in what really should be maybe a bonus 11th, which is believe that you're lucky. If you believe that you're lucky, you you do this your, this framing and this priming, and you'll approach more things as if you're lucky. You'll take opportunities that a lucky person would take. You'll take chances. You'll do things. You'll think of things differently. You'll shift the way you view things from negative to positive. Believe you're a lucky person. And if you believe that you're a lucky person, you could even say fake it till you make it. But just hold that belief, and you'll find that you are a more lucky person because of how it ripples out to all this other stuff. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic tip and it, it makes a fine bonus tip. I agree. Number 11 bonus for you. So there you have it. 10 ways you can actually increase your luck and an 11th bonus. As always, you know, we really hope you enjoyed this. If you ever have questions, you can find us on Twitter. And if you want to send us an email, theentrepreneurcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Thanks everyone. And uh, don't forget to rate us and subscribe. We really appreciate that. Helps us get found uh, by other folks like you who might benefit from hearing what we have to say. So thanks again. 